The Beastmaster used to play so much on HBO. In the 80s, HBO got the nickname, Hey, Beastmaster's on. Radio Drome. Welcome to Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. Joining me yet again is the barely awake and still blah blah voiced Peter. Well, yeah, I'm up uh, about two hours before either of you, and you're the one bitching that you got to be up early. This is early for Cecil and I, man. This new recording time, there's like daylight and stuff out. How do you expect us to cope with this? Yeah, yeah, welcome to my world. And Cecil's <laughs> here too, but, you know, he's not as sick as Peter. No, I'm not sick for a change. For a change. <laughs> but if you want to, like, get really sick in a sexual way, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So last week we looked at cash-ins and rip-offs and things like that, but there were two huge genres, three technically, that we didn't get to last week. So this week... We're going to start with the Conan ripoffs. Conan the Barbarian, obviously, you know, the character goes all the way back. The original character goes way back to the turn of the century. Man, when that first movie came out in 1982, the cash-ins came a-flowing. The writer of the original, like, novels and stuff, wasn't he, like, friends with H.P. Lovecraft, or at least they collaborated at some point? So, yeah, those those books go back a very long way. Ironically enough, the original Conan... In the original stories by Robert E. Howard are mm. not like what we're thinking of. He was not. No, they're lo- very different. I mean, he was a, a made-up race called the Sumerian, which which seemed to be more like a, he seemed to be more First Nations by the way they described it. Well, and also he had short hair. He wore armor. He wrote poetry, and it was extremely well cultured. When mm. you think of Conan nowadays, that's not what you think of Conan, is it? No, no. You think of a, a buffer Tarzan with uh, tanner skin and jet black hair. If if they were going to make a movie adaptation of the old Conan, 1990s era Matt Damon would be more in line with the actor to play Conan. Ew. If you're going off the original Robert E. Howard, Howard stories, let's and not that, do that. That's that sounds worse <laughs> than uh, the Momoa one. <laughs> it's actually strange. It's actually strange when you see illustrations from the original Weird Tales and stuff that mm. that the stories appeared in, and you're and you just go, "That's not the Conan in my brain." <laughs> well, I mean, most mainstream acceptance of a character often correlates with whatever ends up being the most popular thing. So even if you've got X amount of years of history of the comics or the books or whatever, if they go and they make a movie like what they did with Conan and it ends up being a huge mainstream hit, well, in people's minds, that is what the character looks like and that's how the character is. So whenever you kind of veer from that in the mainstream's eyes, if you were to go and make a movie that was more along the lines of what it was originally, 
originally, people would be like, that's not my Conan. Well, <laughs> it's well, I mean, not. I think what, what they did with the Arnold one was they just kind of went with what the artwork on the novels looked later on and the comics and stuff, which even, even though he doesn't really look like the race that was depicted, Arnold is probably the closest you were going to get to that aesthetic. Arnold is a live action Frank Frazetta painting. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. He's the closest you're going to get to that one. Exactly. Especially back then. Once Conan the Barbarian, the, the John Milius movie hit, everybody wanted a piece. This was not just the Italians, although they had plenty. You had everybody get into, I want my Barbarian film. Sometimes they were good. <laughs> sometimes they weren't. Sometimes they got weird. We'll get into that. Sometimes they're cave dwellers. That's an ATOR movie, so we only got cave dwellers in America and Canada. <laughs> so everywhere else, that was an ATOR movie. What would be your favorite non-Conan Conan film? Non-Conan Conan film. Um, well, I was going to go for the obvious uh, ATOR choice, but... I think I'm going to go with uh, Lucio Fulci's Conquest. Now, I don't remember if that came out before or after Conan. I'm pretty after, sure it was after. It was 1983. That one sticks sticks out in my mind because it's it's sort of uh it, it's Lucio Fulci's sword and sorcery movie, so it's kind of it's weird, it's different. It has uh somebody getting gangrene in it as as of course something would happen in a Lucio Fulci sword and sorcery movie. It's also um it, it's sort of a, a sleazier take on seeing that sort of a story and it was obviously his answer to the boom in uh, sword and sorcery, big muscle barbarians, action adventure kind of stuff. That, that's one I like. Uh, I like to revisit a lot just because it has a weird laser bow and arrow thing. It's got zombies in it. The the co-star ends up getting gangrene at some point. Obviously not the real uh, actor, but the character does. It's got weird monsters and shit in it. Uh, that that um, silver mask wearing chick that's uh, other than that is completely naked because why not? Because it's Lucio Fulci. Because it's a Conan knockoff. Conquest is one I would uh, recommend. That or any any of the well, especially the first uh, Ator film by Joe D'Amato that had uh, Miles O'Keefe. Yeah, more more of a Tarzan type, but I guess he worked as a Conan knockoff as well. I'll have my revenge. And Deathstalker 2. Yes. Oh, you're going to go Roger Corman. Oh, God, yeah. How can you not love Deathstalker 2? It is just, uh, the, the comedy works. There's a ton of nudity, fun, and I'm really sad that, uh, they didn't continue it in that direction. Now, I did like the original Deathstalker. That was, um, really more of like, what you would expect from a barbarian. He went from around. Roger he killed, Corman too. Uh, yeah, barbarian, you know, yeah, from Roger Corman. He went around. He, he didn't exactly, he, he saved the women, but he may have also raped them. Uh, he demanded a little bit of payment. What's the problem? You know, they, they you owe know, him. exactly, you know. But it was, but I mean, it, it was in line with what you would expect from a barbarian. But Deathstalker 2 was much more the, the lighthearted, uh, campiness of it. Um, they had some wizardry and they, they poked fun at a lot of things and it worked really well. And then Deathstalker 3, they kind of made the character into a weenie and that was sad. But, uh, it, it sh they should have, if they would have kind of continued with John Terleski playing Deathstalker, they probably would have had a better chance of continuing the franchise along and maybe it would have uh, made four good instead of a, a clip show and i still kind of like four. i mean i like all of the death stalkers but two is by far the best and for me has always been like my go-to conan knockoff and it also has the best sir title death stalker tool duel of the titans 
Way to go, Corman. You got tit in the title. Well, <laughs> Titans. Come on. No, he, it's titans. It's Titan. Oh, I, I know, but, but Roger I guess, Corman I specifically guess spelled it like that to get tits in the title. Uh, well, Did he actually know. spell it with uh, two T's? T-I-T-A-N-T-S. Yeah, Titans. Titans. Yes, but you know it's Roger Corman, Titans. Sure, why not? What you, if you say so? Whatever. See, I mean, there was a lot, there, and there and there was a, a healthy dose of uh, of titans in there. See, well, it was, it, a, it was a sword and sorcery barbarian film. For me, I've got two. I can't decide which one would be my go-to, and they both have sorcerer in the title. It would be Albert Pune, Sword and the Sorcerer, or David Carradine being a bored board sword slinger in the warrior and the sorceress again from corman and i I will always remember warrior and the sorceress for having the four-titted stripper first time i'd ever seen that that was a big thing with um my my cousin uh had cable and i didn't and so i remember one day uh, i was over his house and he was like dude you gotta see this man i'm like what girl with four tits i'm like oh i certainly (laughs) do in that whole movie i I don't think a woman wears a top in that entire movie when that came out in 1984 i don't know if i'd ever seen so many boobs in a non-porno film yeah it is pretty bad conan ripoff that had four boobs uh canon films the barbarians Yes, which was actually Diodato. Yes, yes it was. Uh, and that's, I think, if we're about to move on from the Barbarian stuff, that one deserves an honorable mention because it seems like that was the one that was really trying to be uh, a successor to the Arnold Conan because you had two, you know, up-and-coming bodybuilders in the role and they were ginormous. But Wasn't that Richard one, uh, I feel like that's a good, so bad that it's a good one, but it doesn't exactly hit the the marks that it's intentionally trying to hit. Well, we're not going to leave Conan right now because let's go uh, back all the way to 1982 and let's look at just how many of these there were. Oh, there's a lot. There's of course, tons and tons of them. You got the the D'Amato, all four of the Ator movies, which okay, mm-hmm. he only considers three of them. I think it's uh the Iron Warrior or uh, Iron Master from 1983 that he considers a not a real Ator movie because he didn't no, make that not. one. That I, one's I think like that one about was uh, that's that's more the history of the sword. Um, and it's got a, a gay porn star in the lead role, and it's got George Eastman wearing a, a ridiculous lion headdress. That one's great. I enjoyed it. I, I don't know why D'Amato hated it so much. That one's, uh, I, I think that one has a, a nice vibe to it. it. It definitely captures the feel of a sword and sorcery thing without really being one. It, it doesn't really have actually a lot of like supernatural elements or monsters or anything to it. It's, it's literally just two posing tribes and some, some rape apes. At least it's not the fourth Ator, which is unofficially a troll movie, because oh, why wouldn't goodness. it be? Th- that one, I think, <laughs> even uses the goblin costumes it from does. Troll 2. It does. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, Fat Thor. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it has Thor from the Incredible Hulk TV movies because put on a bit of a bit of bulk, a bit of a uh, bit of winter mass. I'll always remember him from uh, from True Romance. I hate mm. cops. Oh God, yeah. 1982, Beastmaster, the film that defined HBO. Oh, dude, I love Beastmaster. Um, but I mean, see, I went with Deathstalker 2 on top of being that uh, it's very dear to me. But I figured that you guys, you know, I had a feeling it was going to be Sword and a Sorcerer and Beastmaster were going to, you know, end up on here anyway. So oh, yeah. it would all be a way to talk about them as well. Dude, be, like Mark Singer, who I met, oh, God, a while ago now, was just the coolest guy. He was just amazing. And I mean, the the original Beastmaster just oozed with style just uh, like even though it came 
It was most likely greenlit because of Conan. It is so far removed from Conan. I mean, he's got the, you know, he's got the, the ferrets. He's got the animals. He's got Tanya Roberts without any clothes on, uh, in a, in a PG movie. The monsters, there's like bat things that like will drain you of your flesh. Those things scared uh, the hell out of me when I was oh, a kid. Oh, they terrified me. They were so scared. And then they end up like being like joining him because, you know, Oh, it's they're kind of good guys. They're kind of good guys. Well, they, well, the thing is, they're not really. You never really get the impression that they're good or evil. They just kind of are. That was the thing. But the um, so he ends up using them to to help him out. And oh god, I just I I adore the Beastmaster. The Beastmaster used to play so much on HBO in the eighties. HBO got the nickname. Hey, Beastmaster's on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Beastmaster, now the sequels, let's leave the sequels to Beastmaster alone, cause those kinda bite ass. But- Is there really more than, I've seen two, is there a third one? There's yeah, a there's third a one, third which is one. A, it was a Fox TV movie in the 90s. Oh, and then goodness. there was a TV show that lasted four seasons, maybe five. The, the yeah, I, I remember the TV show. Um, and I remember in the second movie, he's, it's a fish out of water thing and he, they drive by a theater and it's playing the first movie somehow. Yeah, because comedy. Well, that was it's stupid. You know, it was funny when I saw it when I was young, but, you know, and Kari Wurr is in it, you know, is one of the few movies, speaking of which, that she's not naked in. It's, uh, I, I didn't hate Beastmaster 2, but it's like, you set up this wonderful universe, and then you do a fish out of water story. It it was all, it was budgetary. They didn't have the budget, because it costs a lot more money to shoot a huge Conan-style epic in a made-up world. Shooting in downtown Los Angeles is cheap. But mm. what, but I mean, they just need to go by the book of Corman, you know, all right, go shoot in the Philippines. There you go. You've <laughs> there got, you go. Yeah. You've got deserts, you've got beaches, you've got you know, whatever, whatever you want, you know, and, and it doesn't cost you anything practically because you're shooting, you know, in rock quarries and stuff where you don't have to get permits. You just have mm-hmm. to make sure that they're not blowing anything up at the time. I, I think that that was also a little bit of laziness. Hey, we've got this license. Let's do something. And they kind of, you know, rejiggered the, uh, the script to make it a fish out of water. And it, it really like, eh, it was just Even Mark Singer then, himself seemed a, a bit hungover and like he was left in the tanning bed a little too long. He looked kind he, of he strange. He also had a little it. pudge too. It looked like he didn't keep up in shape between movies. He had it a little like bit of a pudgy belly. Up, he, well, he it was showed a, up in shape, but not in like the first movie shape. He, he looked a bit, uh, a bit tired and whatever. Let's do this. Yeah, there was a gap. I mean, what are we, what are we talking like 10 years or something between films? Mm. So, I mean, they may have also like, cause he's somebody like when I met him he was in like i mean he wasn't in beastmaster one shape but he was in shape and so i I mean he's always kept fit like he's always been in shape but it's like you know maybe it was like hey we're gonna shoot beastmaster 2 next month and it's like ah crap you know you gotta you know he he didn't have enough time to hunker down and kind of get the washboard abs back well but then you also have like you know roger corman's sorceress which i tended to enjoy more lots of boobs this time was female barbarians but you know because corman's always about giving women a hand up to undo their bra (laughs) then you have albert pewin's Sword and the Sorcerer, man. You don't know how much this movie affected me when I was a kid. Seeing those people get their tongues cut out was one of the most graphic things. I mean, that still bothers me today. You've got Talon getting his fingers ripped off. You've got a sword that shoots other swords at Richard Lynch and Richard Maul. Come on. Just, just great stuff. Uh, really fun. And I, I had only, uh, it was funny. We used to get 
in trouble because that was another one maybe not as much on as the Beastmaster but Sword and Sorcerer was on a lot in the old cable days go in and watch it and like if I was hanging out at my cousin's house and my aunt would come in she'd be like I told you kids not to watch that movie (laughs) so we're like oh you know and so I I only saw it in like segments until I got older and was able to rent it and I'm like watched it from beginning to end and uh, you know yeah it it is a it's a ride it's funny unintentionally so at times but um, uh, very gory very violent uh and just uh, everything that you would expect from a uh pune conan style film pune's first movie by the way Is i it? wow i did not know that wow yeah, that, that was his first film. That was his first film. So he came out swinging. He certainly did, man. He really did. Cause that knocked it out of the park, in my opinion. Watch for Talon's next adventure, Tales of the Ancient Empire, which technically happened in the two thousand. It? Yeah, it's an yeah. all green screenshot movie. It's oh. not worth watching. Just forget it. Peter, it's better off to just think that's a sequel that never happened, although Good. it technically did. Yeah, Sword of the Sorcerer is great, and uh, it's it's funny that you mention it's his it's his first movie because Pune is so primarily known for like cyberpunk and and things like that and like post apocalyptic action films. To see him start out with a sword and sorcery film and do it so well proves the the verse like like how versatile he actually is as a as a filmmaker. It's pretty incredible. And that was just 1982. In 1983, mm-hmm. we also had Death Stalker, which of course that was a three and a half film franchise i'm going to say three and a half because the fourth film is mostly made up of footage from the other three films so it's not a mm. real movie you've got hundra either you remember that with laureen landon with the giant crimped hair as a barbarian because that totally makes sense no yeah the, yeah they had med- ye old medieval hair crimpers well because th- that's what her hairstyle was normally at that time i think she just wouldn't let them uncrimp her hair and it was just like oh whatever just shoot it well <laughs> either that or she did it so many times like her hair was now like that Probably, yeah. But 1983 also gave us Reb Brown, your Hunter from the Future, which is... Does that even really count as a Conan knockoff, though? Because that was also based on a novel. Right, but Margaretti is very open. This was made because Conan and the Italians wanted their sci-fi Conan. Also because of Star Wars and whatnot, they had, you had little Darth Vader knockoffs wandering around. I actually love the original review. I think it was from Variety that was simply just two words. Up yours. <laughs> and right, well, right to the point. I, and to, to show the longevity of your though, I just got the 35th anniversary remastered Blu-ray of your. I still have to get that. It's wonderful. Is it the full four hour version or is it still no, the 90 it, minute? It is the, you know, it is the, the 90 minute version, but, uh, I don't know. It was if originally that... like a mini series, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a mini series in Italy, but then everywhere else in the world got a 90 minute re-edit, oh, which right. is explains why the movie kind of makes no sense because we're I missing don't think two and a half to. hours of footage. You don't need to just have Reb Brown drop kicking purple caveman. That's all you need. Bingo. That's it. With action figures. With action figures, yes. Star Wars action figures, it looks like. <laughs> Luke Skywalker well, looks enough like your make him fly across that bridge. Him- <laughs> he uses a dead bat as a hang glider, for God's sake. To uh, drop kick a purple caveman. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then he just annihilates their entire race. It's just that whole movie is your genociding every culture he comes in contact with. No, I don't have any evidence to support this. Go back and look at the original Masters of the Universe, the cartoon, and you tell me that's not based on your. It could be. It could be. It's pretty similar. Like, uh, Prince Adam has the, Prince Adam slash He-Man has the same helmet haircut. 
But it doesn't have the theme song. Because this is Yaw's world. You know, <laughs> he's the man. <laughs> but, but then but then we also have stuff like, you know, Conan even had his own Conan knockoffs, like Red Sonia. And I call that, I know it's an official Robert E. Howard adaptation, but that Red Sonia movie has nothing to do with the Red Sonia of the novels. No, no, it doesn't. That Red Sonia movie is That movie was made to to originally be a Brigitte Nielsen vehicle, and I think, what was it? They took all the B-roll footage that they had of Arnold and turned it into pretty much an Arnold movie. And I think even he was pissed off about that because he was was paid for a small cameo part, and they used uh, footage of him like he had done feature. So that was a real shyster of a film mm-hmm. it's an awful movie too it is it sucks it sucks because of what they obviously did to it i think it it could have been pretty damn good um i can definitely buy brigitte nielsen in that role but i think they they certainly screwed her on it and also arnold they didn't uh they, they paid him to do a little part and then use like b-roll alternate shots like as much as they could to fill him into like like an hour's worth of the film or something. It's it's such uh it's it's so schlocky to a point that it's almost hard to enjoy because it's like you're just watching these people get screwed over. It also has a weird rapey vibe that I don't think was intended mm-hmm. because Sonia gets raped early on in her life, and so she will never give herself to a man, i.e. have sex with him, unless he can beat her in combat and take the sexuality from her. So what the she, fuck? So, yeah, so yeah. she was raped as a kid, so you the only way she can find a lover is someone who's able to successfully rape her again, and you go, this is some f***ed up shit, 80s. <laughs> I don't know, you, that sounds like kink shaming to me, from me. <laughs> <laughs> USJW Virtue Signaler. <laughs> Red Sonia is a riot. I remember um thinking like I mean Brigitte Nielsen was was beautiful back then and I thought that she it paired well because she's a a giant woman and her fighting Arnold it's like you know it was it was believable the way that they they did it and I think that they did miss the ball in um Early to mid 2000s, they were going to do a Red Sonia reboot that was going to be more like the original character with uh, Rose McGowan. And um, I like, well, that was back before she lost her mind. And I think that that. Like, I think that she still could would have, have been terrible. Worked. She doesn't fit that character at all. I don't know. I think they could have buffed her up and, um, like, cause she seemed like really, you know, cause Robert Rodriguez was going to do it. And I think that that, that had a lot of potential, but, um, mm-hmm. it didn't have to see her as Barbarella. Yeah, her, that's the thing. It was between that, like her as Red Sonia or her as Barbarella. I mean, personally, I would prefer the Red Sonia simply because like Barbarella, I think they did it. Barbarella is a character that I think exists better in its original time frame. And if they were to redo it now, it would just, uh, it, it, it would, would be like Grindhouse. Yeah. I don't know if it would work entirely. So I don't know, but, um, I think the, the Red Sonia, it's, uh, it is a hoot. It is, it's a good movie to just sit back and laugh at the, uh, the silliness of it. Well, and then Roger Corman wasn't about to let this go. So besides the Deathstalker movies, he also had the Wizards of the Lost Kingdom franchise bargain based. Okay. If you thought Deathstalker 4 was bargain basement Corman, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom was even, they dug a hole for those. Those are unwatchably bad. You know, you you have you have stuff like the Barbarian Queens. You've got uh, you've got you know Masters of the Universe, which is technically one. You got Avalon, but the Conan stuff eventually faded out. But then 
you also had another big 80s movie that had a ton of cash-ins. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh, best Indiana Jones cash-in. I have to, like, I mean, one really big one, but not the best one, but I'll mention it anyway. And unfortunately, it takes a hit, and you know why. We've talked about this a few times. But Tales from the Gold Monkey. Oh, like, I really love that show. It's unwatchable now. It's really, it's hard to, to go back and, and just disassociate, um, because of the whole, uh. Stephen Collins diddled his own daughter. Yeah. You know, but, uh, I think, you know, going off of that, uh, I'm going to have to go with my personal favorite. And this is so ridiculous, violent, uh, goofy, everything you could possibly imagine. Pearls of Gwendolyn in the land of Yik Yak. You want to take an Indiana Jones movie. Add torture and, and sadomasochism and all kinds of, uh, violence that even the, the, the Raiders of Lost font they used. <laughs> um, and you've got the Perils of Gwendolyn in the Land of Yik Yak. It's, uh, based on an old comic book and it's got, uh, Tony Katayan in it. If you haven't seen it, it is, uh, it's something to behold. It's often seen as Gwendolyn. I think they re-released it as Gwendolyn in the, uh, unrated cut. I got my sister to rent it for me back in like the 80s uh, because like w- there was the poster and we thought the name of the movie was hilarious. We're like, oh, this is going to be some like cornball, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark knockoff. Nope. And it's it uh, the opening scene is is so violent. I like I was like, oh, I am not ready for this yet. And then I mean, yeah, and it's all about them trying to capture this like elusive butterfly that is being held by this tribe of people that live in like this torture dungeon. It's weird, but it's wonderful. I actually can't off the top of my head think of one. That's it isn't something I would be I was looking for too much. Because I, I hadn't watched uh, Indiana Jones until a little bit later in my life, like around 14, 15 years old. But the one that uh, the one that Cecil described sounded pretty awesome. What's that one called? You can find it as either Gwendolyn or The Perils of Gwendolyn in the Land of Yik Yak. I'm gonna, it I'm gonna sounds have... ridiculous, but you described it as like a gore fest, so I'm kind of uh, I'm intrigued. Uh, dude, you will freaking love it. I mean, the, the cover of it, Tony Katayan, topless in a g-string, being held up by like chains in like looking like bondage gear. Oh it's God, kind of Indiana Jones knockoff I can think of, and I'm pretty sure it's a it's a freaking blockbuster. Is uh, romancing the stone. Romancing the Stone is one because that one, the, the script actually I think existed before that, but was greenlit mm. after that. Where we're like, hey, we, we can make one of these real quick. But I, I'm going to go with, have either of you guys ever seen Tony Anthony's Treasure of the Four Crowns, a.k.a. the 3D movie where every single object comes at the camera? No, I don't believe so. Tony Anthony, you know, he he loved 3D. You know, he he'd make coming at you couple of years earlier treasure mm. of the four crowns is a straight up indie i mean almost blatant indiana jones ripoff but it's in 3d and he decided everything is in 3d i don't think there's an object in that movie that does not come at the camera at some point oh jesus it's glorious but you also had you also had canon got into this with king solomon's mines with Firewalker. you had remember linnea quigley's treasure of the moon goddess 
That's a real movie. Or, I, or you I, had, I know. Or, or you had the, the, the sort of misguided, the further adventures of Tennessee Buck kind of took the sleazy elements of Raiders of the Lost Ark and said, let's amp those up with the rapes and all the nudity. You had Jungle Raiders. You had Antonio Margaretti with Ark of the Sun God and Hunters of the Golden Cobra, which is kind of a sequel to Ark of the Sun God, but not really. Those are glorious Italian knockoffs and then you have the unofficial official one indiana jones was originally going to be played by tom Selleck, and he turned the role down so harrison ford got the role well after that movie became a hit tom Selleck decided i gotta make up for this and he made high road to china which is both boring and bad but it's such a blatant look look i can do indiana jones too there's one Didn't, other hold on hold on one sec didn't tom Selleck do another one too like another, you know, where where he was wearing the hat, kind of like uh, not King Solomon's Mines. I could have swore because that King was Solomon's Ri- Mines was Richard Chamberlain. It was Richard Chamberlain. But what I'm saying is that wasn't there another Tom Selleck? I wanted be Indiana Jones, not Indiana Jones movie. I don't know. I seem to remember there actually being one. Uh, is it Quigley Down Under? Because that was more That's of a western. That, yes. yes, you're right. Yes, it was Quigley Down Under. Yeah, that, that was. It, I, I think Tom Selleck really regretted turning down the role of Indiana Jones. It, it, it could have like revitalized his career because I mean he quit. You know, Magnum PI ended, and then if you look at his career after that, well, it wasn't exactly. Uh, you know, I mean he he, he didn't. He made about as many bad movies as anybody else, but his career mm. kind of floundered a lot in the 90s. With the Conan knockoffs and the Indiana Jones knockoffs, those were relatively cheap to make because all you really needed was, you know, some sets, some costumes, and you just go shoot in the middle of the Los Angeles desert or, you know, in the Philippines or something for the Indiana Jones one. You, Those were all relatively cheap to knock off because obviously you didn't have the special effects budget that, you know, Spielberg and Lucas had. What ones were not as easy was remember all of the Gremlins knockoffs that came out? Yeah, there was a lot of Gremlins knockoffs. I, I mean, I, I know Cecil's going to have a niggling point about this, but like the Critters franchise. <laughs> yes. I know the critter critters was written before, but it was only greenlit after Gremlins became no. again, making it a cash in. No, critters was made before, but because of some production issues and whatnot, it was not finished and released until afterwards. I have a crate sitting on my sitting on my shelf over there that is scowling at you. In a weird way, I think the critters movies sequel-wise, go in a weird direction. I liked the first film, didn't really like the second, hated the third, and I think the fourth film, the one where they go into space, is the best one. Because usually in a franchise, when when you when you send Jason to space, when you send the Leprechaun to space, Pinhead to space, etc., it's not so good, and it screams desperation. Critters 4 in space was not only the best one, but it made total sense because they're space criminals to begin with. Yeah, they were kind of returning to space. Uh, I think 3 is the only one that I kind of think is the weakest of this. Like, I, I love 1, I enjoy 2, and I like 4 very much. But 3 taking place in the building, you know they didn't have that much money. But it's also funny that that's the one that has, like, arguably the best cast, because you had Leonardo DiCaprio and Andy Angela Bassett, like no, no. Angela Bassett's in four. I thought Angela it, Bassett it, was in three and four. She was just Angela, in... Angela Bassett's in four, and Brad Dourif's the villain in four. 
Right. Oh, that's right. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I'm mixing them. All right. Well, yeah, but you still had Leonardo DiCaprio in three, a really good picture of him with a crate. But, um, but yeah, three in the building. It's just, it's really weak. It's dark. They obviously did not have nearly enough money to do the movie that they wanted to make. And, uh, it suffered, but two had a lot of cleverness to it. Like they upped the ante as far as, uh, what the crates could do. They made the, uh, the big bowling ball. Uh, it just, it was, it was what what two was. It was more of the same. Uh, It, It was a lot of wash rinse repeat from the first movie but it was still fun like and that was my thing with it you know they they goofed on the whole uh uh like how they created their uh their human personas and uh you know and they they you know furthered the goof of ug and lee and it's uh i don't know i i like uh i've always enjoyed the uh the series but uh but yeah but uh two but two is by some people see two is the best and i i think that one is still like the best i like four a lot but i still think that one is the best do consider the first one to be the best i've never seen the one in space and I don't mind the one uh in the building just because I guess it's such a novelty to see Leonardo DiCaprio's first uh first film. But overall I think it's a pretty fun uh series, whether it's uh whether it was meant to be a Gremlins knockoff or not, I'm gonna probably go more to Cecil's side of the argument because it sounds like the film was completed before Gremlins was ever even written and just had trouble getting uh distributed and uh finished. And what's actually kind of cool about Critters 4 is, technically, James Cameron did the special effects for Critters 4. Really? Technically. A lot of the special effects shots are actually taken directly from 1982's Android, a film where where Cameron did all the model work and special effects. So huh. because they're reusing Cameron's effects from Android directly into Critters 4, technically James Cameron did the effects for Critters 4 as well. <laughs> but then you also had, you know, Charles Band wasn't going to sit back and let the Gremlins franchise, let the Gremlins phenomenon run wild. He had Ghoulies. Mm-hmm. Now, of the Ghoulies franchise... I know this is blasphemy. Ghoulies 2 is the best one. I mean, Ghoulies is good. Ghoulies 2 I enjoyed a lot more. Let's not even talk about Ghoulies 3 and 4. Awful. Yeah, I think uh, Ghoulies 1 and 2 are definitely the best. And then 3, and I think it was at 4 where it was kind of like Evil Tunes where it was, uh, it was Ghoulies, but... Like, you didn't really even see the freaking ghoulies very much. And, and, and it had, like, the S&M chick in it. Yeah. all the leather gear. Yeah, where she, like, brought them out, and they were, like, they were more like dwarves, and then you didn't even really see it. Whereas ghoulies, like, they were fun. They came out of the toilet, and, you know, like, killed people, killed college kids, and uh it was it was great. Actually, that hole in the toilet thing was never in the movie originally. Oh, yeah. They, it was they, a they made the poster. Because of the poster. It, they, yeah, they made the poster, and it was a great poster. They got tons of positive feedback over the poster, and then Band was like, it's a great poster, but there's nothing like that in the movie. So he had to give the directors more money to go back and shoot a scene just so they wouldn't be accused of false advertising. That was the guy getting his uh getting his ass bit or his balls bit in the toilet like at the very end. And yeah, the, that's the, the, the tagline. one thing I, I remember from uh, seeing it as a kid. That was the most... Uh, most memorable scene. They'll get you in the end was the tagline with the toilet. <laughs> yes. That's oh, wonderful. Subtle. Oh, and then Ghoulies too. I know Cecil and probably Peter remembers this too. Remember the Wasp theme song, Scream Until You Like It? Yes. Yes. And then Ghoulies 3, they went to college because we needed something to do. <laughs> well, you know, you know what they say about diminishing returns. 
But then you also have, I'm not sure if this movie is famous in spite of Mystery Science Theater or because of Mystery Science Theater, but Sloane's Hobgoblins. Hobgoblins is a blatant cash-in. But at the same time, I think Rick Sloan, I mean, he, he said as much, he's clever enough that it was kind of a satire on Gremlins at the same time. I'm not sure how much that came through, though. I think that the satire in that one was pretty blatant. That was definitely uh, more of like an ironic uh, film. I, I found uh, the Hobgoblins, honestly, kind of annoying. The characters really sucked. And it may have been, I don't know if it was the writing or just the actors having zero charisma, but that one was a tough one for me to get through. Uh, I think Hobgoblins uh, became, like, it got the notice that it did now because of Mystery Science Theater. Like, I had never yeah. heard of it. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a few movies that uh, have been put back into the public spotlight because of Mystery Science Theater. I mean, definitely Manos is probably the most famous, but like Zombie Nightmare and that kind of stuff. Like, I think that uh, they would not have really had as much attention uh over the years if not for mystery science theater now now that you know stuff like the room and birdemic has taken hold possible they may have been rediscovered now but they wouldn't have been rediscovered in like the 90s have either of you guys seen hobgoblins 2 i never actually got around to that one that one no. i missed no i can't say i have no me either you have Charles Band doing the Ghoulies movies Roger Corman wasn't going to sit this out either <laughs> you guys remember munchies yep I I, re I remember no, I haven't seen Munchies in 25 years. I remember it being really funny, and I watched it constantly on cable as a kid. I did not even know that that had a sequel, and the sequel looks horrible. <laughs> Cecil, if you remember Munchies, am I remembering it right that it's funny, or is this one of those ones that is only funny when you're 13? Considering that I occasionally have the humor of a 13-year-old, I can't really... I don't know if I'm really the best person to judge the humor level. Exactly. Um, you think Repossessed is funny. Repossessed is hilarious. What's wrong no, with you? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Uh, stop being an old curmudgeon. Laugh at things. But uh, Munchies, I think it's... Uh, I haven't seen it in a while either. It's juvenile, but I'm sorry. I will always have... Like, that sense of humor in me will not go away. Juvenile dick and fart humor is funny to me. I'm not going to say that it is, you know, like the height of wit. It's funny if it's done right. And I remember enjoying it and thinking that it was dumb and funny. I have not seen it in a long time, so I can't tell you how well it holds up. And I had no idea that there was a sequel. The poster for Munchies is the, it looks like a combination between a gremlin and a troll doll, which I don't even think existed at that point. Holding a beer, smoking a cigarette, looking up a woman's dress. <laughs> I don't think Corman was going for subtlety here. No. Wasn't it, wasn't it pulling, I remember like a girl running away and it was like pulling her panties down. Uh, the poster I'm looking at right now is him looking up a girl's dress as it's blowing up, you know, the woman in red style. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, now I'm looking at it. I remember the cover. God, what the hell? All right, there's a movie out there where there is a gremlin-like monster that is pulling a girl's panties down. I want to see that movie now. I, I thought it was Munchies, but apparently I am wrong. Munchies was PG, so it was trying to be raw, but I, I, it was still, a, it was a kid's movie. And the second one, uh, which I said I've never seen, I'm looking at the cover, it's just called Munchie. It looks like a straight kid's movie. It's got a very much a little person in a mask standing on a pizza that's flying across the house. I think they went very kid's film for the sequel. 
Wow, with Lonnie Anderson? Yes. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm looking at this going, I've never seen, in a weird way, I'm curious though. In a weird way, I do want to check this one out now because it looks so bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. And there's, there's, it looks like there's a third. There's a third one? Okay, I did, again, I didn't know there was a sequel, so I didn't know there was a third one. It, Munchie Strikes Back. God, it's wow. a franchise. From, uh, what, okay, what year is this? Munchie Strikes Back was 1992, uh, from wow. Jim Wynorski. I'm gonna have to actually kind of look for these now. Yeah, uh, oh boy, does this look bad. With, uh, with, looks like Leslie Ann Down taking over the, uh, Lonnie Anderson part. And Angus, oh my god, Angus Scrim is in it. <laughs> what? Angus Scrim is Cronus. Because of the repercussions from his last adventure, Munchie must appear before the celestial court presided over by Cronus. <laughs> what the f***? I need, I need Munchie Strikes Back. I'm going to have to marathon the Munchie trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, the, 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 there, there's one Gremlins knockoff that's not technically a Gremlins knockoff. Because, okay, Charles Band had the Ghoulies. Remember in Dungeon Master? Remember Rat Spit? Mm. Absolutely a, hey, I can do, I can do Gremlins. Cause I actually think that was pre-Ghoulies, if I'm thinking right. That might have been after the first Ghoulies though. And technically the Rat Spit puppet would be used in Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolarama. Would, would you consider that kind of a Gremlins ripoff? Because the Imp is kind of? Eh, no, um, not really. Yeah, Uncle that, that one was more in tone with, uh, those types of little gremlin-y puppets, like, showing up in everything in the 80s. Like, you even had one like that in, uh, Masters of the Universe instead of an Orko character. Gwildor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gwildor. But, uh, <laughs> Gwildork. Yeah, well, Unc- Uncle Limpy was originally, if you watch the trailer, was a completely different voice. I but know. Then, I actually like the voice in the trailer better, personally. I don't know. I like, cause it was Carl, uh, it was Carl Crew, if I'm not mistaken, who did, uh, Uncle Limpy in the movie. And, uh, it was just funny, cause he was just like, oh, bitch! Like, it was, <laughs> it was so, it just was just this really weird voice coming out of this little hand, obvious hand puppet. And, uh, I, I actually just liked, okay, now maybe it's because of the age I was at the time, that the nerd got Linnea Quigley at the end of that movie. Yeah. That, uh, that was kind of nice. She too. got with the nerd and she, and she was the bad girl, Spider. And she was the bad girl, you know, and she lived on top of that. Yeah, Usually. How often does Leigh Quigley live through a movie? Not very often. Alright, I'm buying the Munchies trilogy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Can you wait till we're done recording? <laughs> I gotta get on this. Well, so you have all the, all of these cash-ins and whatnot. In the, the total of cash-in culture, do you think that the cash-ins, there has ever been any that, I mean, I, I'm not talking about on a, we enjoyed it like a Your Hunter from the Future level. I'm talking about a quality filmmaking level. Do you think a cash-in can ever be better than the film it's cashing in, regardless of what genre it is? Because cash-ins tend to be obvious. You know, they tend to be, hey, I want one of these too. Do you, do you ever think that there's one that goes, wow, this is actually better than the film it's ripping off? I don't know. Like, I, I kind of like uh, Beastmaster more than Conan, personally, if we're going to count Beastmaster as sort of a cash-in. I've always which liked is, that a little bit fair. more. 
Uh, let's see. There's, uh, there's Hands of Steel, which is an obvious Terminator cash in, which I will love say I, some Paco Cura. And, and, and Raul Morales, cause he's the strongest, because <laughs> I saw it at, at such a young of an age and it, it's just such an entertaining exploitation movie. I, I like Hands of Steel, uh, a, a smidge better than the Terminator. Of course you do. Yes, of course I do. You, so you like still. Flash Gordon, so we're even. The Flash, Flash Gordon, Gordon is great too. So Cecil, besides buying the Munchie trilogy while we're trying to record a show, <laughs> what would be your answer? I would, I would say that Conan is the better movie. It's better produced. It's better, uh, you know, it has, you know, bigger stars in it and whatnot. Things like Deathstalker 2 and Beastmaster, I've seen more and I enjoy more. So not discounting the quality of Conan. I think that the original Conan is a, is a very good sword and sorcery. Well, yeah, man, there's a little bit of sorcery in there. A little bit. Yeah. Um, he, he, f- he turns into a there's snake. A, there's a snake know? monster. Yeah. But I think that the other, you know, a lot of the knockoffs I end up just enjoying and have seen a lot more than yeah, uh, Conan. I think Conan is just such a big movie almost to its own detriment. You, you sit through it and it's really long and it's really epic and it's really grand scale and it's not one you really want to watch again right away. Like a lot of the other smaller ones like the first, uh, the first Ator or Yor is a lot of fun and, uh, Beastmaster and obviously the, the Deathstalker movies. They're a little bit shorter. They're a little more quickly paced. They have a little more, little more action. They're, they're a little more silly, like the, uh, like the barbarians. So it's not so much, I guess, saying that they're, they're better than Conan, but they're a little, a little more fun, a little more easier to revisit. Yeah. A little you, more homoerotic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could just kind of, you throw them on, you sit down, and I, I know it's, you know, some, oh, you don't want to, you know, I want art to elevate. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes I'm tired and I want to just sit down and watch something dumb and enjoyable. You know, and I don't you know what, for people who think Conan is, is art elevated, just listen to the commentary track on that film where he's talking with John Milius. Oh, okay. He, here's where we do this. Ever. And here, oh, wow, this was a lot of fun. What was you the, cannot like, masturbate me, master. Oh wait, that's not the line. What am I thinking of? I got, uh, <laughs> I got laid a lot in this movie. This is fantastic. <laughs> I think that, oh, how is, uh, how's she doing these days? Oh, she's great, but she's a Valkyrie. That's a Valkyrie. <laughs> John Milius kind of has, yeah, John Milius, is, he, he has this weird, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman kind of. <laughs> ultra right-wing gun nut kind of mentality if you've ever listened to any of his commentaries. Wow. It, it, Cecil, if you've never listened to a John Milius commentary, you are missing out. It's he so is, funny. He's a hardcore right-winger. He's a hardcore conservative. He loves guns. He thinks men should be men and women should be in the kitchen. Unless they're Valkyries. Unless they're Valkyries. Yes, if, if they're warrior women, they're okay. He, he He's very much... I love John Milius, but he's... Kind of a, he's kind of a barbarian himself. He's kind a, of a excellent, throwback guy. Uh, excellent filmmaker, but a bit, a bit of a dickhead. Yeah. But an he, an he, entertaining he, dickhead. His, his values very much rest in 1950s Americana. Let's put it that way, Cecil. Well, you know, I mean, he's an older gentleman, so, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's a different time. But, uh, that's but, funny. I think, well, if you've never, Arnold, uh, I think, peaked with the Total Recall commentary, where, uh, the, it, it ends up turning it into one of the world's greatest comedies. He's just like, oh, this part was great. It's the girl with the three breasts. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's like, I seem like to literal remember. with his com- with his commentary. He doesn't, <laughs> yeah. like, he doesn't talk about any, uh, like trivia for the film. He's just like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. 
Yeah, like, and really, <laughs> he just he just tells you what's going on in the screen. Yeah, like, there's, no, the, he, there's the bit in Conan with the uh the the martial arts master or swordsman guy, and there's the dude like laughing in the background, and he gets kicked, and Arnold's like, ah, he was laughing, he, he didn't <laughs> laugh long. <laughs> All right, I gotta listen to that commentary. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the commentary on Conan. It, 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 okay, even I'm saying this to the listeners. Even if you don't like Conan, you need to listen to the commentary. Yes, it's both batshit and, <laughs> and and like I said, Arnold is remembering things in the movie that aren't there. Like at one point, he actually says, "And this is the part where I say you cannot masturbate me, master." No, wait, that's not the line. What am I thinking of? <laughs> and you're like, what? Were, Arnold, are you high really, right uh, now? Thinking. They they both sound a bit uh, half in the bag. They, they kind of do actually. Now that you mention it. <laughs> I think they're just like watching it and, and drinking and just having fun. So, like it's it's yeah. barely it's it's commentary in the most literal sense. They are literally commentating like on what's happening and then occasionally talking about something else. Well, John Milius does give a lot of information in there. I mean, Arnold is basically useless and is just there for, you know, comedy setups. But John like, Milius is kind of trying to make a commentary out of it. And then you have Arnold chiming mm-hmm. in with something like, ah, even back then you had to listen to the women problems. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Oh, it is it is so misogynistic. It's hysterical. It's f***ing hysterical. So, on that note, when it comes to cash-ins, are they worth it to the mainstream? Probably not. Are they worth it to the people who listen to this show? Absolutely. Go check out any of the cash-ins that we talked about this week or last week. You will not be, well, you might be disappointed, but you'll still enjoy yourself. Peter will be cashing in by leaving for work in a few minutes. Where can people find him? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinemasticist, on YouTube, The Cinemasticist, and on, on 1201beyond.com, where I just love cash-ins. Because remember, I I like Hands of Steel more than James Cameron's The Terminator, and you can you can quote me on that one. Cecil doesn't really cash in, but he's a pretty good guy. Where can Cecil be found? I can be found at goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, YouTube, of course, where I usually am, and 1201beyond.com. Hey, that 1201beyond.com thing. It sounds like we're all cashing in on that. Yeah, like we get any cash. (laughs) But you can go to 1201beyond.com. We have t-shirts and stuff, so you can maybe help by buying some merch. It really does help. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.